0: The title of my sermon today, um, and actually the topic of this message, came when I was at uh, our last chapel, I was just sitting there, and that's, that's kind of what happens with a lot of preachers, they get a lot of seed thoughts for a sermon in the most random places, and it was during Pastor Devin's message, it had nothing to do with this message, it was just while I was like staring at him, <laughs> I, I just thought of this. But the title of my message today is, The Strongest Muscle. The strongest muscle. So maybe I was looking at Pastor Devin and I was just like admiring his physique. (laughs) i was kidding, but the strongest muscle. So in in the way of a hook, answer this question in your mind. So what do you believe is the strongest muscle in our bodies? Maybe you think it's our arms. It's responsible as the bicep, as the tricep, as the shoulder. It's responsible for gripping things. It's responsible for handling things. And boxers, that's what they use primarily to hurt people is their arms. So maybe it's arm muscles. It maybe it's our neck muscles. It's response. Some, some of us have heavier heads. I think the, the average weight of a head is around 30 or something pounds. And some people have heavier heads, they have more brain knowledge. But others, you know, David, eh, not a lot, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But there's a lot of, maybe there's some neck muscles. What about our back? Our back is responsible for us not going like this, you know. It, it stabilizes and pulls back our chest. And it's involved in most, whenever we pull something, we're using our back. Maybe it's our chest. It, it's involved in a lot of pushing. Whenever we push something, we're using our chest. A lot of people, the first thought is maybe our leg muscles. We're always on our legs, we're always moving. We're, some people, they work in, in, in very active jobs. They're on their feet eight hours per day. And so maybe it's our legs, you know, Theo has strong legs, he can, he can dunk, he used to be able to dunk, so that's what we use to, to do the heaviest of lifting, is we use our legs. But we can't forget about the core muscles, our lower back, our abdominals. Without them, you know, if you've ever, if you've ever injured your abs or your lower back, you know how painful it is. You can't walk, you can't stand up, it's responsible for your whole body. I've, I've had my share of lower back uh, muscle problems and it hurts. But what is the strongest muscle? And I mean, the argument for all those things I've mentioned, are they're all valid. But the strongest muscle is none of the above that I've mentioned. The reason why I didn't share the passage or text passage for this uh, sermon is because if I said the passage, you would probably be able to guess. So even if we were to have the weakest arms, the weakest legs, the weakest neck, chest, back, and core we would still have this strong muscle. We would still be in possession of this strong muscle. You know what? Even if we were paraplegic or quadriplegic, and even if we were bound to a wheelchair or bound to a bed, and we couldn't move, except our face, we would still have this muscle. And if you haven't guessed already, and let me give you another hint before we actually, I declare it. This muscle can destroy or build up other people without directly touching it. This muscle can wound and scar an individual, and you can do that without lifting a single finger. This muscle can repair and build up another man or woman from across the room. And if you haven't guessed what this muscle is, it is our tongue. Our tongue. So let's all turn to James 3, 1 to 10. That will be our text passage. James 3, 1 to 10. So because it's a chapel service, we can do, um, I can involve you guys in uh, the reading of the text. My, 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 my voice is kind of sore already, so let's just, I'll, I'll go, I'll read verse 1, and then we'll go from Pastor Silver, and then we'll kind of zigzag. So I'll read the first verse. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm. Whithersoever the governor listeth, listen. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter, little fire, a little fire can do. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. And let's all read the last verse. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. So, for the last two years, I've owned a dog, all right? And initially, he was very wild. As JR, he just has a new puppy. A new puppy is very wild, and it's un, uh, initially it is not tamed. It just does whatever it wants. It was uncontrollable. He would make a mess in the living room. He would make a mess in the, the entrance mat. He would make a mess in the bathroom. He would make a mess on the stairs, the, and his carpet too. He would make a mess everywhere. You couldn't control Soda. But as the months progress, two months, three months, four months later, if you work on it, you are able to tame something like a pet like a dog or a cat and in the world today there are thousands if not maybe hundreds of thousands of other animal trainers who are much better than i am you know i struggled training a puppy but there are some people who can train lions who can train seals who can train elephants who can train the most grand animals in the world but look at look out with me uh in verse um seven and eight For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. So we see that even today. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. The thing is, our tongue is a very small member, as what uh, this passage says. It is a very small part of our body. Makes up, I don't know however percent it takes up of our body. It's a very small percent. It's just this little sliver of muscle in our mouths. But this little member of our body, in my opinion, causes the most damage among Christians and among the world today. It's not our hands that do a lot of damage. It is our mouths. Because everybody has the capacity to hurt other people with their tongues. Some people, can, some people who have strong muscles, yes, they can hurt other people with their hands. But you know, that weak guy over there, he won't be able to hurt anybody with his weak frame. But a tongue, everyone is capable of using and utilizing for evil, for wickedness, for for poisonous things. One of the greatest and glaring weaknesses of the average Christian man and woman is our tongue, our speech, the words we say, the things that proceed out of our mouth. I have never met a man, as the Bible clearly states in James, who has perfectly put their tongue and speech under submission. I've never met a man who was so upright and holy that every single word that came out of his mouth was holy and for the edification of other believers. Every single man I've met has more more than one occasion has slipped up and said something that they shouldn't have, including myself. And I may be worse than the average person, I don't know. But our tongue is hard to be tamed and is untamable, as James 3 says. But here's the issue that I find. No man, it's true that no man can tame the tongue completely. That's what James says. No man can tame the tongue 100%. But just because we can't tame it completely does not give us an excuse to completely ignore our responsibility to always season our speech with salt. Just because we can't 100% tame our tongue doesn't mean we should completely ignore that responsibility to have godly conversation or to have godly speech. You have two choices with this little muscle. It's either going to build up others or destroy the faith and morale of your brethren. And it is up to you to decide what effect your tongue would have. There are three types of speech that a Christian can have, and using scripture, we will examine um, what what these three are and see for yourself what type of speech is coming out of your mouth. Don't look at your, the person beside you. Don't look at the person behind you. Look at yourself and see what type of speech has been leaving your mouth. But before we get into our sermon, let's just open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this uh, the message that you provided for me. I pray, Lord, that you would that you would help me and, and enable me to preach uh, just your words. And I pray, Lord, that you would um, leave out all the words that are from my own thoughts and just uh, words that are uh, not alignment in alignment with your word. I pray that I just uh, preach uh, specifically your scripture. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you bless this message, that you would uh, speak to the hearts of myself and to the people sitting here today. I pray this all in your name. Amen. So the first one, the first type of speech we can have is a vain speech, a vain speech. So let's all turn to Ephesians 5, 3 to 4. Ephesians 5, 3 to 4. So just follow with me. You don't have to read it out loud. Uh, 5, 3 to 4. Am I in the right? Sorry. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. So... It's interesting because foolish talking and jesting in this passage is um, coupled with such sins as fornication and uncleanness. So we have like these two wicked sins of fornication and uncleanness, so like sexual immorality and other forms of unclean sins. It's been kind of put in the same level as foolish talking and jesting. And from uh, an outsider's perspective, you wouldn't think that they were equal, equally wrong. You'd think that immediately sexual immorality was the worst of the, the sins. But both of them can have equally damaging and, and um, detrimental results. Foolish talking and fornication. And the Bible says that it should not be once named among us. But for some, it's not just named once, but attributed to their name dozens of times. You know those guys at work? You, everybody knows that they're the types of guys who just like to... Um, uh, just, they just like to run their mouths. They... Um, I've I've, bused in, I've been in transit for the last three, four years. I've worked in a total of three years in, in secular jobs. And I've had all sorts of coworkers, all sorts of people that I've, I've overheard. And most people, it's normal for them to just start talking about, you know, maybe um, criticizing their bosses. That's a, that's a common one in grocery stores. Oh, our boss sucks. He makes us work too hard. Even though the guy that's saying that barely works at all. There are people on the bus who... Um, they like to, talk, when they're, they're, they're talking on their phone, they're, they're openly saying like these very disgusting sexual things, openly, and when there are, sometimes there are children on the bus too, while they're saying this. And the world is very apt to just talk foolishly. We expect that from the world, because they're not saved yet. You know, gossiping, spreading rumors, blatant profanity, crude language, all of this, people openly talking about lusting, this or that. Those are all types of foolish talking that we expect from the world. And so there are, way, there are a lot of ways that we can be guilty of foolish talking. So we need to avoid all topics that may be classified as foolish. So let's go to Proverbs 10:19 now. Let's go to the Old Testament, Proverbs 10 verse 19. Proverbs 10:19 says. In the, in the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. And a scripture states, It is wise to refrain the lips from excessively talking. The more we talk, the more likely we are to get ourselves in trouble. In my experience, it has always been people who had big mouths. And I'm not talking about size. I'm talking about, you know, the, the, the figure of speech, big mouths. It was always those who had big mouths who were always involved in some sort of trouble, who was in the the office. It was always the guys with big mouths who was involved in some fight, some rumor, some scandal. Why? It's because they keep talking. They talk, they talk, they talk. They have no filter, and they don't consider for a second to be silent for once. There is wisdom in knowing when to stay silent. There's a time and place for us to talk. There's a time and place for us to, to, to converse. But we, we aren't to be conversing 100% all uh, 24-7 and just yap, yap, yapping and not putting a filter in front of our mouths. You know, um, a, a good example of this is when, when, uh, when an, a parent starts scolding maybe their child. You know, sometimes the argument ends after they... The, the scolding ends right after the, the parents say what they have to say. But a lot of times what children do, and I have done in the past, is instead of just letting their parents say their piece... They um, backtalk. They backtalk. They they make a, a a snarky comeback. They make a, a reply that is a bit sarcastic. And guess what? That reply that they made now opened up a new, a whole new set of of a lecture from the parents. And it just keeps getting worse. The more you backtalk your parents, the more the, the worse it gets. The more the bigger the the bigger the hole you uh, dig for yourself. So know when to stay silent and know when you have to listen. A book I read a long time ago, it was The Seven Habits of uh, Highly Effective People. One of them is talking about communication. The reason why there is poor relationship skills in our community today, in our society, is because we don't know how to communicate anymore. We don't know, we're, we're, we're uneducated on how to talk to other people. How, if you look at any conversation, this is how it is. Most people like to talk, most people like to say their piece, most people like to say their opinion, but they actually never listen. They could care less about what the other person is saying, they just want to get their opinions heard. A lot of times we only listen so that we can uh, hear what they have to say and we form, uh, we form a reply. We, we're just basically listening so that we can make a reply. But we never really listen to understand. We have to do our utmost to avoid all forms of vain speech. All forms of foolish and useless conversations. Why? Because look at the following verse. Let's turn to Matthew 12, 36. Matthew 12, 36. Matthew 12, 36 says, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. This verse says that we will have to give an account for every idle word, for every vain word that comes out of our mouth. And that is if we don't repent and ask for forgiveness. When we repent, God forgives, uh, forgives and forgets completely what we've done wrong. But a lot of people, uh, if you look at yourself today, when was the last time you asked for repentance for saying something stupid? It's probably been a while. Because you, you, most people believe that they don't have this problem of having a, of an unbridled tongue. They think that this is part of their personality. Oh, it's my personality to be a guy who says whatever's on his mind. That's not a personality trait. That's just a trait of you not unbridling your tongue. That is a lack of restraint. That is not a personality trait. We have to be calm like God and not just give in to our flesh. God, in his omniscience, has heard all the vain, foolish words that have come out of our mouth. Even the words that we mutter under our breath when no one is looking. Even the words that we whisper under our breath when our parents have turned their back. God has listened and heard every one of those. Do not think for a second that the omniscient God that we serve would ever overlook our thoughts, let alone our audible words. So ask God for forgiveness. Ask God to forgive you of all the idle and vain speech that you're you're guilty of. I'm guilty of this too. That's why I'm giving a warning. That's why I'm exhorting to you what the Bible says about an unbridled tongue. We're all guilty of this from a day-to-day basis, too. This is something that we commit on a day-to-day uh, uh, basis. You know, it is also possible to say good things that make you sound like a good Christian. Oh, yeah, yeah, I woke up today. I woke up real early today to read my Bible. Oh, yeah, I attend every single service. It's possible to say good things, objective, like objectively good things, but if your thoughts and your intents don't align with the good things you said, those words that you said, even though they're good things, become vain. Because your life, because your thought, because they're not in alignment with what you just said, the words that proceeded out of your mouth are vain and foolish talking in the sight of God. Get rid of that hypocrisy that has fostered within your heart. Make sure that as a Christian, your conversation is always genuine and never in vain. Just as we can go to we can go to church and not really be a Christian. We can go soul winning every Saturday and not actually be a soul winner in our hearts. We can read our Bible every single day and not actually be a student of the word. We have to make sure that our words are always in alignment with our hearts. Otherwise, it's just vain speech. Number two is the worst of the three speeches. It is called destructive speech. Destructive speech. All turn with me to Proverbs 12. Proverbs 12. Besides the book of James, the the book that talks most about the tongue is Proverbs. Proverbs 12, 18. And it says, There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Within our society, if you just observe, the inclination of the average man is to cut up and tear down other people. That's the natural inclination. People would, without a second thought, you know, curse the cashier. I've seen this. I worked in a grocery store for three years. I've seen people curse the cashier and just, ber- uh, and just berate them and just completely go into a rage just because the cashier forgot up the, the, pro- the product code of an apple. They go on this whole tangent of just making and humiliating another person for just forgetting a simple code. Drivers today will immediately honk, curse at a, another driver for making a small mistake. For being a little bit slow, for making a wrong turn, for just swerving a little bit. We, 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 we start honking and they start cursing at a driver. They pull up to the, the car in the highway, they roll up the window and they start berating them. That's normal in our world. When we go to the dra- drive through worker, if the drive through fast food workers are just a tad bit slow, people are naturally just going on a rampage and, and rage uh, on, that, on that poor worker. In summary, the world finds nothing wrong with humiliating and cursing other people. That's the natural, that's the, that's the sin nature, that's their flesh. They're not saved. And that's why the tongue is the strongest muscle. Within a span of five seconds, you could have the power to either build up and mightily encourage someone, or you could have the power to cut someone down and kick them into a pit of sorrow and sadness. You have that choice. You can either build them up, or you can either use your tongue to just kick them and make them depressed and make them sorrowful. We expect and know that the world will pierce others with their tongues like a sword. But how come I am seeing it even within God's people? Paul, throughout his letters, says to be loving to one another, to be loving to your brethren who are saved. But how come I see Christians piercing other Christians like like a sword, uh, piercing others with their tongues? We are called to love our brethren. We are called to be united with our brethren. And this is assuming that you guys are united in doctrine already. You guys are united in truth already. But we are so quick to cut others down with our words over one small disagreement. Instead of encouraging others, we end up destroying and stunting the budding faith of some Christians. Listen to the proverb. Listen to the wisdom of the, the wisest man in the world. So that it may be said of us that our speech gives health rather than pain. I would feel bad if, if someone would say of me that my speech was, was painful to them. I want my speech to, from, uh, towards other believers to be a source of encouragement, a source of health in a way. I want to be an encouragement to you guys. Not somebody who, who, who I want to, who, who is avoided because he's always just berating other people. I don't want to be that person. Turn with me to Ephesians 4.29. Ephesians 4.29. And it says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Here we see a similar concept, to not let corrupt communication escape our mouths. We have to make sure that the words we say, the conversations we have, edify and build up others. So the next time you're about to blurt something out, the next time you're about to say something, Refrain from saying that and pause for a second. Just one second and stop and think. James 1.19 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Swift to hear, slow to speak. It takes just one second or a two second pause to, to save yourself from a world of hurt, from a world of uh, embarrassment. Think for a moment about the words you're about to say. It is the times when we don't pause. It is the time that we just blabber on that end up messing up relationships and friendships. For example, in my, the reason why I know that so well, because in my life, the, the, the two members of my body that, have, that has caused the most trouble was my, my tongue and my thumb. And my thumb. What is it, what, why your thumb? Because the things, the words that I've said and the texts that I've sent. Nowadays, we can send Uh, a theoretical, uh, we can send a speech, just using our our, our phones now, with our thumbs. Instead of stopping to think about the comeback that I'm about to say, instead of stopping to think about the insult I'm I'm about to give to a friend, instead, I just blurted it out. And what ends up happening is I hurt some people unknowingly, and for months they carry this this, um, grudge against me that I didn't even know about because I decided to be an idiot and just speak my piece. Instead of refraining and being slow to speak. Words can be destructive. They can be the most destructive thing in the world. You know what? Look at the rising cases of suicide. And yes, it's never right to commit suicide. But many are pushed into suicide because of the hurtful words of other people. If some words were just refrained, it would have saved some people from committing suicide. Many have left Christianity, many have left the faith and erred because their brethren, instead of encouraging them in their times of weakness, in their times of when they've strayed, their brethren instead mock them and ridicule them instead of lending a helping hand and picking them back up from where they fell from. Make 110, 110% sure That all words that come out of your mouth have the purpose of edifying others. Let's go to Luke 6.45. Luke 6.45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. If you find yourself consistently saying evil, spiteful and mean things, you need to examine your heart. Because this is not just some sort of uh, once-in-a- blue moon problem now. This is, this, the, the root problem is your heart is wicked and is in sin. If evil continue, continually leaves your lips, that is an obvious indicator that your heart is corrupt. That it is involved in deep sin, that it is involved in wickedness. We will never have godly communication and conversation if our hearts are not right. A heart that has been contaminated and that has given place and shelter to Satan can only ever produce wicked and carnal speech. An evil heart can only produce evil speech. Our tongue and speech can, in a way, kill those around us. So be mindful and pray always. That's why we always pray before we leave the house. Pray that you don't say something stupid. Pray that, you, that all the words that come out of your mouth are, are led and, and uh, put in your mouth by the Holy Spirit. Pray that the Holy Spirit seasons your speech with salt. And the last one, this is the speech that we ought to have. It is called constructive speech. Constructive speech. And let's turn to Hebrews 3.13. Hebrews 3.13. And it says, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today. Lest any of you be be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. To exhort one another means to be of good comfort. To be a good comfort to one another. This is not to say that we should comfort and exhort each other, you know, maybe once a year. But this verse says that we should exhort and be a good comfort to believers every single day. We have, to make, we have to open up our own opportunities to be a blessing to somebody else. The problem is we're so self-centered, we're so selfish, and we only think about what's best for us. But think for a moment when you wake up, how can I be a blessing to another one of my brethren? How can I be, can I be a blessing to another Christian? Make it a goal that every single day that you are a blessing to another person, to another, to another saved person. Not just even to save people, be a blessing to those unsaved as well because it will speak volumes, and it will be a great testimony. So let me paint a what-if scenario. What if Barnabas chose to rebuke, humiliate, and bully the Apostle Paul? What if Barnabas chose to ditch John Mark and just left him in the the dust? Well, in a way, I believe that Paul and Mark would have still been in the ministry somehow. God would have just used another person. But just what if... We would have missed out on some great books if they were to have fallen from the faith. The majority of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. And one of the four Gospels is written by John Mark. And imagine if Barnabas was such a, a bad testimony to his brethren that he caused Paul and John Mark to err from the faith. Or from the, depart from the faith. But that's not what he did. He chose to exhort them. He gave the Apostle Paul a chance when nobody else would give him a chance. And when the Apostle Paul was impatient with John Mark, Barnabas chose to give John Mark a hand and lift him up. And both of them were so used in ministry that God even used them to be uh, biblical authors. Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen: Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. As the popular proverb states, we must sharpen each other. But instead, we have way too many guys who are dulling each other. Instead of sharpening each other and making ourselves a better soldier for God, we're dulling our blades by bickering, by constantly arguing, by constantly making fun of each other. We need to sharpen each other, not dull each other. Make it a goal to be encouragement to every single one around you. Not just to the people around us. It's easy to fake um, being uh, exhorting on others in the public. It's easy to be a blessing to these people. But so many people have bad testimonies at home. When they get home, they backtalk their parents. When they get home, they never listen to what their parents says. When they get home, they're super disobedient. Be an encouragement to every single one around you. Not just the people at the church, but it starts at the home. To be a person that others see as a source of comfort and consolation. But what if another believer is in a wicked sin? Are we then supposed to just ignore the sin? No. There is such a thing as rebuking another believer in love. Many attempt to rebuke others for their sin, but they lack the love aspect. And so the rebuke is useless. But a man who rebukes his friend in love will have a greater impact on the, on, uh, on the person who's straying. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3. Let's turn there. That's the last passage I'm going to turn, ask you guys to turn. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1-3. 13, 1-3. The chapter on charity or the chapter of love. And it says, "...though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing." Without charity, without love, our ministry is nothing. It is vain. It is ineffective. We are called to minister to other people in love. Always in love. And love isn't, love. doesn't mean ignoring people, ignoring their sins. No. Love is understanding that that sin is so wicked that you have to, you have to let them know that you're in the wrong path. That's love. Love is not ignoring somebody. It's ignoring someone's wicked sin. That's not love. That's stupidity. Love is telling that other person, "Look, you're on the path of destruction. Get away from that. I care so much about you that you should not continue further with this sin." But instead, we rebuke without love, and they 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 continue in their sin because we forgot to show love. When we could have we could have possibly reached them if we just had shown love with a rebuke. So to conclude. D.L. Moody and Charles Spurgeon, the two men that I look up, that I most look up to in terms of preachers, were both great men of God, both amazing preachers, and both of them agreed that the greatest greatest sermon ever preached was from this certain man. The greatest sermon—they both agreed that the greatest sermon was from the same man. This man, in his earlier years, was very foolish with how he used his tongue. He was quick to say something, and he did not think before uttering a word. He was very impulsive. But there was a certain point in this man's life that he chose to use his tongue, to use his speech, to accomplish something for God and to further his kingdom. One day he, woke, he, he just realized that I'm, I'm, not use, I'm, not because, I'm not a good steward of my tongue right now. I need to use it for the furtherance of God's kingdom. The man who before was foolish with his speech, with his tongue, became the preacher who preached the greatest sermon ever as according to Moody and Spurgeon. And what made this sermon so great and heralded by both Spurgeon and Moody? Well, 3,000 men were saved under that sermon. That preacher's name was Peter, Simon Peter. He was always saying something that he shouldn't have said. It even led to God t- uh, calling him Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. It led to him denying the, the, the Savior because he couldn't control his mouth. But he he turned around, and later on, he he dedicated his mouth, he dedicated his speech to God, and God used him, God used his message to save 3,000 men. Like Peter, we have a choice. You can either keep on using your tongue foolishly, or to give over our speech to the Lord so that it can be mightily used. Maybe maybe you will never preach a sermon that gets 3,000 people saved. But it might be that your, your, your holy conversation might encourage another believer from entering into ministry. Maybe your conversation with one man may, may help him in his time of need where he, otherwise, he was uh, otherwise contemplating suicide. Your speech gave him the encouragement to go on. You never know how, what impact are, are your words can have on another man. All of us here have the capability of speech. None of us here suffer with mute um, tendencies. No one here has an excuse. Because we all can talk, none of us have an excuse. Purpose to be a Christian who builds up others in love and to be one who mightily preaches God's word. The tongue is the strongest muscle in our body. But it is up to you to decide how you will use such a great and powerful tool. I will close our sermon in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this message that you've given me and the words of the the wisdom in your Bible, Lord, about uh, bridling our tongues and, and making sure that our conversation is to the edification of other people. I pray, Lord, that you would help me and that you would help everyone here present, that you would season our conversation with salt, that you would allow us to have a holy conversation, a holy speech with other people. I pray, Lord, that it would never be said of us that we are foolish talkers, that we are vain talkers, that we are destructive talkers. I pray, Lord, that all our speech would be constructive and edifying and godly, I pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, conform to your image every single day. And I pray, Lord, that you would um, just fill us with your Holy Spirit. Without your Spirit, Lord, it would be an impossible task to have a holy conversation. But I pray, Lord, that you would always indwell us and always fill our our hearts. pray this all in your name. Amen.